So welcome back to the Great Speech Podcast. This is part two of episode three of the greatest speeches by women my personal top 10 uh now i know a lot of you are asking i know what you're thinking right where's the jingle caller where's the jingle because i've had so many comments on the jingle kind of the little beaten rap that i've got at the start of my podcast and you know it ends with my dad saying uh this is the great speech podcast which i can tell you took a long time to get right one day i'll actually play you the recording i I recorded i kept the snippet of me trying to get my dad just to deliver that line uh and it's really quite fun so one day i'll play that for you but uh no no jingle this morning because this is really part two of essentially the same podcast so it's really still episode three so i didn't want to kind of waste time with that i want to get straight on with where we were so just to remind you of where we got to. We'd counted down from 10 to 6. This is my top 10 greatest speeches by women. It's what I feel, right? So I'm sure people will have different views as to what should be in the top 10. Uh, but this is what really spoke to me just from my studying and knowledge of speeches and the ones that cried out to me. So we had at 10 uh, Lupita's accept- acceptance speech at the uh, Essence Black Music Festival or um, uh, uh, conference in Hollywood. That was in 2014. Coming down to number nine was a TED Talk by Sheryl Sandberg. I haven't really gone for TED Talks generally uh, because I kind of think they're much more set piece speeches that are designed just to be inspiring. And I wanted something that was in a way more organic. But I have kind of gone for one uh, because when I was studying speeches, actually, it's one of the first ones in terms of TED Talks that I came across. So that's kind of why it has a little bit of a, bit of a special place for me. But otherwise, not many TED Talks uh, or not any other TED talks in this list. So that was Sheryl Sandberg's uh, speech on why there are too few women leaders. That was in 2010. Uh, number eight was by Emmeline Pankhurst, the suffragette leader back in 1913, popularly titled the Freedom or Death speech, a spectacular speech, that one for which we have no YouTube footage except for, you know, people have recreated it and stuff. Uh, but a very, very strong speech. And that came in at my number eight. Uh, we then had the uh, entry by Hillary Clinton, who, as you will remember, I am very conflicted by uh, because I do not think she's a great communicator in herself. But this was a very strong and very good speech. Uh, this was the Women's Rights Are Human Rights speech uh, that came in at number seven. And then the last one we covered in episode or part one of this episode was On the Pulse of the Morning by Maya Angelou. Remember her incredible voice that melodic voice that delivered this poem at the inauguration of bill clinton in 1993 that was our entry at number six if you have just come to this podcast episode i urge you to go back one so to the first part of episode three because that's where i actually talk through all of those speeches from 10 down to six so don't just skip ahead to the end you know i sometimes do that where you you know skip ahead to the end of a book and read the last page to see just to see what happens or skip ahead to kind of the end of a movie don't do that with this one uh really take it in order so you kind of get the kind of build up to my personal number one 
but let us keep going. So we uh, got to number six with Maya Angelou. Uh, now we are at number five. Now, number five is a speech by Julia Gillard. Uh, she was the Prime Minister of Australia uh, from about 2010 to 2013. Uh, and in 2012, she gave a speech in the House, uh, the Parliament, essentially, of Australia, Australian Parliament, uh, that's basically titled On Misogyny, On Misogyny. And in the, the context of this speech is that she was a Prime Minister and there had been some accusations of kind of sexist messages sent by the Speaker of the House. Uh, and there was a call as to whether she should support the Speaker because of what he'd done or kind of abandon and reject the Speaker. And she chose to support the Speaker, which was actually very, con- uh, the Speaker, which was very controversial at the time. And her opponent, uh, uh, Tony Abbott, this was the opposition leader, was very critical of her. And so she had to get up and talk about uh, emotion that was to be passed in the house about the speaker and whether he should be removed and had to give her response and her response is just a thing of beauty it is one of those where you could tell that from the first moment she started speaking there was something about this that was going to be spicy you know speeches in the house of commons or in in parliaments generally around the world can be a bit kind of wandering very often people are lost in the politics of the day so it can be difficult for speeches in parliaments to rise up to be one of note to the general public you know of course you had your churchills some great speeches by churchill in parliament in the house of commons but that was during the war so you can understand that there was a greater resonance in the public because of what he said in the house of commons so for a speech by um, an australian uh, prime minister and you know the australian parliament doesn't really get featured in in the press in the way the kind of the british parliament does as it were Uh, so for a speech by an australian prime minister to actually make as much headway as it did is really quite something so she'd been criticized by by the leader of the opposition tony abbott but he had his own challenges shall we say when it came to sexism so she raised actually in her speech about how the fact that you know he had said things like you know what's wrong with abortion it's not so bad and you know um, and talking about you know what if men by physiology or temperament are just more adapted to exercise authority and issue command so essentially saying that yes men are superior and she got up and just let rip into this guy in an astonishing moment for parliament the speech went viral that's how i came across it actually is that i saw i was getting a lot of tweets and messages about uh, this speech and she just lays into the guy talking about the history of his sexism talking about the way in which how he um, dealt with her you know things like ditch, saying things like ditch the witch about her and how she had been treated as a female a politician a female leader uh, in the Australian politics basically meant that he had absolutely no right to say anything at all about sexism in any way it was really just a classic destruction uh, approach a teardown a takedown of another politician and if you watch the speech itself which i urge you to do uh, i will in this podcast in the show notes for this podcast episode put the link to my article where i i set out all the speeches that i've chosen i kind of do a bit of commentary and i give you the link to the youtube footage if it's there or the transcript if there's no footage 
And it's wonderful. You just watch uh, Tony Abbott sitting there squirming as she lays into him. And it's almost like she's standing up for every female leader around the world who has had their authority challenged just because of the fact that they are, they are female. And she's st- kind of standing up for the team and lay into this guy. It's really quite something to behold. A uh, best line of the speech actually, uh, is where she says, and I'll do my Australian accent. Uh, she says, you know, if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. <laughs> Apologies to all my Australian friends out there. Uh, that's my Australian accent. But yeah, that's one of the best lines in there. And in fact, it was one of the early lines in her speech, which is unusual. Very often you find the best lines come towards the end or the climax of a speech. But it really showed that it was set up. Uh, as I understand it, she hadn't written the speech out beforehand, so she essentially was improvising. She obviously had some prepared lines, but that in itself just makes it an even stronger speech to get up and deliver this castigation of your opponent uh, in a way that went viral. Uh, so great, great speech. Uh, that's why it makes it to my number five in my list of the top 10 speeches by women. Uh, how would I improve it? Uh, difficult one because, because it wasn't, it wasn't written or pre-prepared. You know, it's difficult to be criticized, to criticize uh, someone's speech where it's really very much uh, off the cuff. Uh, so I don't have too much criticism about it. Possibly it was longer than it needed to be. But then again, it's parliament, you know, parliament and politicians are built to kind of talk for far longer than they need to. It's a slightly different audience they're speaking to. So I'm not overly critical of that. That's the one thing that perhaps I would say. But otherwise, great speech, certainly well deserved to be uh, in anyone's top 10. And personally, for me, it was my number five. So well done to Julia Gillard. Uh, she actually retired after she had given the speech. In fact, interestingly enough, uh, the speech was so successful and so widely, uh, widely regarded that it actually led, partly led to the Australian dictionary changing its definition of misogyny. They changed it from hatred to women to having entrenched prejudices about women just on the strength of that speech. That shows you how momentous it was. So well done, Julia. I think she retired after uh, finishing as leader in 2013. Uh, Not sure what she's doing now, but if you listen to this, Julia, thank you for this speech. I thought it was excellent. Okay, number four. Number four. Now, number four is uh, another one for which we have no YouTube footage. I actually wrongly said that there were only two in my list for which we had no footage. Actually, there are three. Uh, So this is uh, another one. This is a speech given in 1851 by a lady called Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth. And she, in fact, was born Isabella Baumfrey, but had changed her name in, in 1843 to Sojourner Truth. And actually, I think that's wonderful. You just listen to the name Sojourner Truth. It's kind of saying, I am the truth. I'm going to speak the truth uh, to you. Now, this was a speech she gave uh, in 1851 at a woman's convention in Ohio, in Connecticut, in, in, the, in America, United States of America. Uh, and she was an abolitionist, but also also a a women's rights activist. Uh, And the speech is popularly titled 
Ain't I a Woman? Uh, now, there's a little bit of controversy in terms of the text of the speech. They're basically two different transcripts about the speech, one by one person who attended uh, the convention. And that, in fact, doesn't really refer to the Ain't I a Woman refrain, which is really what makes the speech famous. And then there's another uh, transcript or another uh, recording uh, or reference of the speech in which the Ain't I a Woman refrain, which is really where the, st- the speech gets its, its uh, fame, as it were, is recorded. So there's a little bit of controversy as to did she really say those things or not? Uh, I choose to believe that she did because that's what also makes it a great speech. Uh, but either way, it's still very worth noting as a speech. So of course, the context is that she's giving this speech. She was an escaped slave. She was also, very interestingly, the first woman to ever sue, successfully sue a slave owner to recover her own son. So she had escaped with her daughter, but she sued a slave owner to recover her son from slavery from him. And it was one of the first, uh, as far as I understand, uh, case that succeeded in that regard. So isn't that wonderful? So that's the context in which that she is coming to the stage to speak at this women's rights convention. And she um, steps up and delivers powerfully. She has this, well, there's a bit of controversy. They say that she had a, you know, the typical Southern draw uh, of um, a lot of black people in those days, especially black uh, slaves who had come from the South. Uh, although there are disputes about it that, well, she didn't necessarily have that Southern draw because she actually apparently grew up uh, speaking Dutch uh, initially because those were the slave owners and then converted to English afterwards. Uh, but nevertheless, by all accounts, she had a really strong presence. She was tall, gaunt, dark-skinned woman wearing a white turban as she takes to the stage to deliver uh, this speech. Uh, in many ways, actually, it's kind of the forerunner of the Hillary Clinton uh, um, women's rights are human rights speech uh, in its context because she's talking about the need, the urgent need for equality for women. She talks about isn't you know is there anything that I can't do uh, as a woman? She talks about uh, can I you know I can bear the lash like any man, and that's where in fact the refrain of "Ain't I a Woman" uh, comes it comes in. It's kind of it's like a plea and an accusation and an Affirmation all in one, you know, ain't I a woman? Uh, my favorite line actually in the entire speech is where she she says, you know, that little man in black there, he says women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Well, where did your Christ come from? And then she talks about how Christ was born of God and the Virgin Mary and man didn't have nothing to do with it. You know, really, uh, really clever uh, kind of turning around of the issue and it's a very strong very strong affirmation of the rights of women of of the demand for women to have an equal place at the table and given by somebody who was clearly a very formidable woman in a, her own right uh, it really had a mesmerizing effect the audience apparently was uh, regaled by this listened uh, really in awe and then gave a very strong 
uh, round of applause afterwards. She went on to give many speeches. She went on to recruit uh, black men, uh, black um, soldiers for the uh, Union Army uh, in the Civil War. She was a contemporary of people like Frederick Douglass. So really substantial figure and a wonderful speech. One of those that actually really doesn't take long to read at all. Uh, and when you get to the parts where she's saying, ain't I a woman, ain't I a woman, uh, really just well delivered. In my, in the link in the show notes, actually, I've put a link to a re kind of imagining of the speech, um, by, uh, what's her name? Olivia Pope. Uh, gosh, I can't remember what her name is now. Um, that she, uh, Kerry Washington, that's it. Uh, Kerry Washington, who played Olivia Pope, sorry. Uh, and she delivers the speech and gives it a lot of sass and a lot of attitude. Uh, I had a bit of a small issue with Kerry Washington being chosen to deliver it. You know, for me, uh, uh, Sojourner Truth just didn't, didn't present as this, you know, very slim, absolutely stunningly beautiful, uh, woman, which Kerry Washington is. She st- struck me as somebody who was almost, you could feel kind of almost the scar of life uh, on her and she wasn't defined by her attractiveness uh, in that way and in a way I kind of thought well did you need to you know look for one of the most beautiful women in the world to play that role mine equivalent anyway but she gives a good uh, performance of it so I won't criticize her too much Uh, but very very worthwhile uh, both reading and watching that speech Um, any improvement again very difficult where you haven't got footage of the speech and um that means you know it's difficult to say okay what can i look at to criticize her if she didn't in fact use the ain't i a woman refrain then yes that would be a very big shame because that really is what makes the speech but i choose to believe that she did so i have very very little if any criticism of the speech by sojourner truth ain't i a woman So now we're coming to the top three, which is really when it gets juicy and interesting. So what is my number three uh, speech? Well, it was given in 2012 at the Democratic uh, Convention, rather, to introduce Barack Obama. Now, that pretty much should give the game away. And of course, it is the speech by Michelle Obama. Uh, No real title for this, so it really was just the introductory speech. Now, an introduction speech is basically like a hype man speech right if you've ever ever, you know into boxing which is what i'm really into uh there's a hype man which is kind of the guy that goes before the boxer can be a woman actually because there's a lot of women boxers now of course uh but the person that goes before the boxer as they enter into the ring and is really hyping the boxer up like yeah yeah he's bad or she's bad she's gonna beat everybody (laughs) right or if you know a bundini brown used to do it with muhammad ali he's effectively the guy that came up with you know float like a butterfly and sting like a bee rumble young man rumble and he hyped Ali up so that he just felt on top of the world so that is essentially the role of a person that is introducing the main speaker or the main event it's really to hype up that person to whip the audience into a serious frenzy so that by the time that person comes on they are just ready to accept everything that person says and that is what uh, Michelle Obama came on to do for Barack Obama in 2012. Now the context is very important and interesting because in 2012 of course 
after his initial victory in 2008, the kind of change and hope message that he was known for, you know, the whole yes, we can and, and all of that was starting to wear thin. Really, it had worn thin. It kind of had come up against the reality of politics, you know, the reality that you can't change things all at once or the reality that the other politicians, particularly the Republican Party in the case of Barack Obama, will obstruct the things that you're trying to do. So the hope and change message hadn't really started to wear thin. People's jobs were not recovering fast enough or if they were recovering, the pay wasn't increasing sufficiently and things like that. So it really was an important occasion. It was by no means certainly he was going to win the 2012 election, although in the end, he pretty much cruised to victory. So she comes in at this moment really needing to hype up uh, her husband, but she's not a politician. So this, in a way, is what makes the speech so clever and so effective, is that what she does is she recognises that the politics side of things are really a struggle. But she knows that people love her husband as a man. He had very high approval ratings in terms of his personal characteristics. And so she uses that and makes the speech personal but what she does is she talks about the characteristics that she loves in her husband and how his values and integrity as a man are what informs his political judgment very clever the way she essentially humanizes Barack one of the problems that I have with Barack Obama he is an awesome speaker especially a set speech a set sorry set piece stage uh, public speaker but one of the issues i have with him is that he's almost too he's too aloof uh, many times you know he he gives grandiose speeches but in terms of humanizing it down to a kind of a, a micro level so that you really relate to him he can be a little bit kind of standoffish so this was all this made it all the more effective in terms of what Michelle Obama did because she really humanized it. She told stories of how, you know, he would pick her up for their dates and she could see the, the pavement going past in the hole in the bottom of his car. You know, that kind of thing, you know, that, that he would get, um, his coffee table from the dumpster and, uh, you know, just really trying to show that he was a human being. Uh, and, you know, the fact that he had turned down a high paying job uh, to work in the community, what she was doing was saying, look, forget about the politics of presidency. This is the man that you want to be your leader because he is such a good man. And take it from me because I'm his wife and I've seen it uh, close, close by and close hand. It really was very uh, effective. And her style of delivery especially is what I love. She has this kind of really earthy, earthy, warm tone, slight drawl that she's almost like everything's almost like she's telling a story. It kind of harkened back to the, the West African griots, the storytellers of the day where everything was about drawing your audience in and telling a story that keeps them transfixed. She talked a lot about the character of her husband, his honesty, his integrity, the fact that truth matters, that success needs to be earned and gratitude. You know, it really was 
uh, kind of saying that, look, change is hard, change is difficult. You may not be able to see it right now, but trust me when I say this is the man to help uh, get us there. Really a brilliant free speech. It's not the speech, by the way, that uh, Melania Trump later plagiarized when, if you remember, there was a big thing about she essentially copied word for word a speech by Michelle Obama. That was actually her 2008 speech uh, that uh, Melania Trump plagiarized. So this was a different one. This is a 2012 speech. Uh, best line uh, in the speech is undoubtedly the line where she says the being president doesn't change who you are. It reveals who you are. What a great line. Being president doesn't change who you are. It reveals who you are. And what she was trying to do is she was trying to show how because of the values that he had, that's why he supported things like saving the car industry and cutting taxes and healthcare and so forth. Very, very effective speech uh, and uh, really one that bears watching. In fact, it's one of my personal favorite speeches because there was a time I was watching it to study it uh, many years ago, in fact, and my daughter was just kind of lying, um, you know, it was like a Sunday morning or something. So we're lying on the bed together, just chatting and she's watching the speech with me. And I remember her watching and, you know, imagine to watch like a, for a six year old to just watch a speech, you know, political speech, but she watched from start to finish. She didn't say a word and I discussed it with her afterwards and she was clearly moved and inspired by it uh, in fact uh, it's one of the reasons why uh, Michelle Obama is coming to London, actually. And I managed to score some tickets for her and my wife. For, for, yes, so for my wife and uh, my daughter, I have sent them to go and watch uh, Michelle Obama. She's coming to London to kind of speak. Um, I'm hoping it will be equally inspiring for them both. Uh, but yes, that is Michelle Obama's speech uh, at the 2012 Democratic Convention. Uh, any criticism of the speech? Well, it's 25 minutes or so, which for me is too long. I know political speeches tend to be longer than others, but I just don't like it when it runs to that far. You know, I always tell people that, you know, the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King, which is possibly the greatest speech that has ever been given, was 16 minutes long. And that changed the world. You know, the um, Gettysburg Address by Abraham Lincoln was three minutes long, right? And that changed the world. So really, you want to think about if there's anything that is so important that you have to say that you need to take longer than 15 minutes to do it. Uh, so my slight criticism there is that she went on a little bit too long. Although, to be fair to her, you know, a large part of that, probably 20% of it was just um, featured her waiting for the applause to die down uh, and the 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 uh, audience to kind of simmer down so she could continue her speech. So it would probably have come in at about 20 minutes uh, if she had been allowed to just get through it. So very, very good speech. Um, certainly her delivery was wonderful. I always say that she's a better storyteller when it comes to speeches than her husband. And storytelling, as you will know from one of my earlier podcast episodes, is all important when trying to be a great public speaker. So number three, is a speech by Michelle Obama. Uh, and uh, that is um, taking us to number two. So number two, uh, this is the final one for which we do not have YouTube footage except for reenactments by some uh, great actors. Uh, this is a speech in 1588 
by Elizabeth I, uh, so Queen Elizabeth I, and she was addressing her troops uh, on the eve of battle against the Spanish Armada. At that time, the Spanish, um, the Spanish Empire essentially was really uh, a great power in the world, essentially competing with the English Empire. And uh, there was a great battle coming. The Spanish Armada were invading uh, England, which would have changed the course of obviously the history of England and the history of the world. Uh, and she was to an extent an untested queen uh, in that time. So it was really critical that she was able to motivate her troops to defend the island from the invasion so she is giving this speech and you can imagine the you can imagine how it went you know i love kind of eve of battle speeches i think they're they're one of the occasions that call for that deep inspiring speech to motivate the troops i think i've i've written something actually on some of the greatest eve of battle speeches ever given uh, in movies anyway uh, and She's giving this eve of battle speech. So she's dressed in white. She's mounted on a white steed, you know, a white horse with steel armor and a helmet. And she's holding a gold baton. You know, that is, that is the perfect image of a queen coming in to address her troops, you know, like an Amazonian empress. So you can imagine it's the eve of battle. She's addressing the troops and she starts her speech with my loving people, which when I when I first read it, I thought mm, that's a little bit arrogant, isn't it? My loving people. But actually, I thought about it again. And in the context of the time where there really was this deference to royalty, it's fully understandable that she herself would say my loving people. And actually, her people would feel, yes, uh, we do love you. You are, you know, the person that we adore. So she starts um the speech with talking about her loving people and she just goes on and tells them about how she you know she's counting on them to win this battle it's it's great actually because she apparently wrote her own speeches which i think is fantastic because really uh, you don't get many politicians and certainly many sovereigns writing their own speeches so it's really inspiring that she wrote her own speeches uh, and of course this was in the context of where she had refused to marry uh, and produce, refused to produce heirs so really kind of like early serious feminist in terms of saying no I'm not going to subscribe to the conventional wisdom of what a woman must do I'm going to do what I want and I choose not to marry and I choose uh, not to have an heir and I will rule and she ruled for many many years and it was kind of the golden period uh, of English medieval history. Uh, and so uh, one of the great lines uh, in that speech uh, is where she says, I know I have the body of a weak, feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king and a king of England too. And they're really playing on the on the what must have been in the people's minds or the troops' minds of hmm, what's this woman coming to kind of tell us how to fight, uh, but actually playing on that, saying yes, I know you may see me as a feeble woman, but I have the great heart of a king. You know, excellent, excellent line, uh, and. It's instructive, actually, that in part of the speech, she talks about how you know, she's been told not to come amongst the troops. You know, it's dangerous uh, for a sovereign. There's, you know, risk of treachery. But she says, no, let tyrants fear. I will not fear to walk among my people. Really, really strong, strong speech there. Um, and so 
you know, it, it's you might be surprised as to why that comes so high in my list, but it has so much going for it. First of all, as I said, I love Eve of Battle speeches. I think automatically that elevates their importance because of what is riding on them. Uh, secondly, I love the way she starts uh, because, you know, that whole my loving people, I've been told not to come amongst you for fear of treachery. It's a great way to say I am one of you. And what she's doing, she's building a connection with the troops. Uh, and then she says um, the great line of I have the body of weak, feeble woman, but the heart of a king, which is fantastic. And of course, the way she looks. So I just think all in all, it was a really, really strong speech. And that's why it's so high uh, in my list. And, you know, people like, um, uh, what's the actor, Kate Blanchett, I think, has recreated it uh, in one of the movies. Um what would I have improved about it? There is one line in there where she talks about the fact that the troops haven't been paid, but she assures them that they will be. Um, you know, I kind of had issues with that. It's like, come on, you're trying to motivate people. Don't start talking about being underpaid. Uh, but again, in the context of the time, that was probably a hugely important thing. So I've kind of put my uh, skepticism about that line to one side. Uh, so yes, that is speech number two which takes us now to the big reveal as speech number one. Uh, I don't have a drum roll, but let's try it. Let's try this. <laughs> this is a speech given in 1992 at the UN Earth Summit in Rio, Rio, Brazil. It was given by a young girl called Severn Suzuki. I think she was about 12 years old at the time. And she gave this speech at the UN summit about uh, the environment. Uh, one of the kind of the early speeches in those days, of course, at that stage, it was really much more about the ozone layer and so forth. But generally, it was about the environment. Uh, she was part of the Children's Environmental Organization, which was a group of about 12 and 13 year olds. And they had raised money and traveled many, many miles to the summit. She says, you know, we we're traveling here to tell you adults to change your ways. Talks about the fact she has no hidden agenda. And then this delivers this incredibly powerful, very poised and very poignant speech about the environment, about the need for politicians to stop their nonsense and take it seriously. And she tells about how she's afraid to go outside, afraid to breathe, afraid to fish. She talks about how she met uh, some of the young children in the favelas while she was there and asked and said to them, you know, and one of them said, and I wish I was rich. And she asked why. She says, so I could help the world, essentially. You know, really powerful example. She talks about, yes, you are politicians, but you're also brothers and fathers and uncles and aunts uh, and mothers. And you were all children. You know, such a so really just incredibly well-structured uh, speech. And she uses a great refrain where she says, I'm only a child, but I know. And then she talks about the things she knows. She says, I'm only a child, but I know this. And then I know that, you know, saying we buy and throw away things. Very, very carefully uh, written speech. And she links the children in the favelas to Somalian starving, children starving in Somalia to uh, children who are victims of war in the Middle East to beggars in India. So despite her young age, she's really able to see this on a global, from a global perspective, which makes sense given that she's giving a speech about the world, essentially. Uh, and she says to them, you know, my parents always say it's not the end of the world, but how can you say that? Now, you know, are we even your priorities? A uh, best line by far in the speech for me was a line where she says, if you don't know how to fix it, please stop breaking it. Uh, that's her line about uh, to the adults saying, listen, 
you know, messing up their environment for me. Stop it because I'm the one who's going to suffer. Really fantastic speech. Very, very inspiring. I have to say, it's one of those actually that um, I always kind of say, okay, I'm going to watch a quick bit of it. Uh, and then I always end up walk- watching it all the way from the start to the finish. And I actually also love to see the reaction of the audience because the audience, as you can imagine, is a very, is a bunch of very jaded politicians who've heard everything before, especially on the UN kind of world stage. But you can see that they are absolutely transfixed to, a, to an extent you kind of feel almost a little bit of embarrassment on their part. You know, they were expecting the, you know, usual very sweet and twee speech from some young girl. And what they get was really a carefully constructed, well-reasoned, fully emotional, compelling argument about why they needed to change their ways uh really strong speech what would i improve about it absolutely nothing as mary poppins would say it was practically perfect in every way there's nothing i would change about it her delivery is excellent her poise is is fantastic the content is top notch uh, and it has some great lines in it as well so that is my number one speech in my list of the greatest speeches by women, greatest speech by a girl as well. She was 12 or 13 at that time, uh, back in 1992. What do you think? Let me give you the link as well. You'll see it in the show notes, uh, but the link is greatspeech.co. That's greatspeech.co forward slash speeches hyphen by hyphen women. Greatspeech.co forward slash speeches hyphen by hyphen women. Have a look at that. Uh, tell me what you think. T- send me any suggestions you have for the speeches that you love uh, instead. I hope you appreciated that. Uh, remember, uh, as I really want to introduce it, if you're listening to this podcast, when you come to the end of the podcast, do something nice for a stranger, especially if you are listening to this on a commute. Do something nice for a stranger. Uh, don't really care what it is, but make sure it's something that you can say, yes, I contributed something good into the world. Uh, and send me a note about it when you do. Thank you very much. Uh, next episode, mm, I think I will do something on leadership. Yes, uh, because a lot of the uh, speakers on this um, podcast episode, this list of women have been leaders in their own right. I think it's only right that I do something on leadership, but I'm going to do it on the failings of the leader, uh, of a leader. What makes a bad leader? I'm going to call it the four fundamental flaws of leaders that fail. There we go. What about that for a title? So look out for that. That'll be, we'll resume kind of every couple of weeks. So that'll be in two weeks time. Uh, so look out for that. And I shall say goodbye this time in... Japanese. There we go. Sayonara. Sayonara. Goodbye. Thanks for for tuning in. See you again. Sayonara.